Welcome to Going Back, 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 the sports history podcast with all the stories you need to know and some you don't. My name is Brian Gay, and with me here is my co-host, Tom Young. Each week, Brian and I will be choosing a story from this week in sports history. This week will be two different stories from January 22nd to the 30th. We'll also be covering some of the current hot topics in sports entertainment, all while drinking a few cold local beers and seeing where the night takes us. All right, we got another sports fact to start off the show tonight. So Wayne Gretzky, he recorded 2,857 points during his NHL career. If you were to take away the 894 goals he scored, he would still be the NHL's all-time leading scorer with 1,963 assists that he racked up during his career. So, Brian, do you know who is second all-time in points in the NHL? I do. Uh, it's Yarmir Yager. Correct. And he's got 1,921 points. He had 766 goals and 1,155 assists. Yeah. So, he's the great one for a reason. Um, I feel like this is a pointed fact since I made that comment about Gretzky and McDavid last week. And when you put it into context, though, it's it's silly. Like, no matter how it looks on tape, the man is literally the greatest to ever play the game. This has nothing to do with last week. I just happened to – I know this is a personal favorite convenient. of mine, sports fact. Convenient. Timing. Definitely convenient. <laughs> Might be a little coincidental. But, yeah, I mean, it just speaks for itself. If you take away his virtually 900 goals he scored, he still leads the NHL in all-time points. Talk about absurd. Yeah, that's just disgusting because when you think about like the numbers, I think anybody would initially just assume that he scored mainly, just mainly scored goals because you hear how great he was. And he has the goal record. And he has the goal record, exactly. But then when you, when you realize just how many assists he produced as well, I think that's when his like the true domination that was Wayne Gretzky really comes in. The whole picture really comes together is when you look at that because – those are just ridiculous numbers across the board. But that goal record is getting encroached on. Uh, I don't know if quickly is the right word, but I mean. I would say quickly. It's happening pretty fast. I mean, when you score 212 points in one season, <laughs> hard to top that. Yeah. I don't I th- think that's ever going to be broken. We're talking about how his goal record is definitely on pace to be broken by Alex Ovechkin. I think yeah. if he keeps up the pace he's been at the past couple of years, averaging close to 50 goals. He should be doing it, I believe it's 2025. I mean, he doesn't seem to be slowing down, so yeah, I guess we'll machine. find out. Well, I think uh, there's another crazy Wayne Gretzky. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of crazy Wayne Gretzky stats, but there's the one that there – I believe there are two players that have ever scored more than 170 points in an NHL season, and I'm pretty confident it's him and Lemieux. Um, you can correct me on that. But all I know is that Wayne Gretzky has done it like seven times. Yeah, and I apologize. It's actually 215. He previously held 212, and 215 is the record. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right. So let's see. I'm looking that up now. We got, yeah, Wayne Gretzky here. We got. Wait, 215 is the record for what? Two points in a season. for the season. Points in a season. He's got 215, 212, 208, 205, and then Lemieux comes in at 199. Okay, yeah. Uh, maybe that, that, I think that might have been what it was. Gretzky's the only play, player to ever break 200 points, and he did it five times. Yeah, he's got four of them. And then Lemieux came Sick. close with 199. And then Gretzky's got the next top two at 196, 183. It's unfortunate for, for Lemieux, though, that he was around the same time as Gretzky because he was amazing in his own right. 
Just one, completely overshadowed him. Actually. Yeah, and one of it, he had some crazy, ridiculous seasons, and one of his best was during the season that he was going through cancer treatment and whatnot, and he right. had just still like an absurd, absurd season. My hockey knowledge, at least stat wise, is not the greatest, but it's pretty easy to know who the the greats are, and they just happen to be playing at the same time. For sure, I mean, almost the golden era of hockey. Yeah, it was. I mean, a whole different, whole different game back then. I mean, the fact that you even have players doing that is just nuts. So, yeah, I don't know how they didn't wear helmets or the goalies. I should say didn't wear like masks or anything for the longest time. Oh yeah, there's you the very borderline crazy to be doing that. Absolutely insane. There's the famous picture of Terry Sawchuck at like towards the end of his career, and he just got stitches and his face is so beat up, um, just cause taking shot after shot. I mean, granted, you can only take so many hockey pucks to the head, I imagine. But one I is mean, one too many for me. Yeah, that's fair. And he was taking him to the face willingly, which is just like we said last week, hockey players are a different kind of crazy, just a different breed moving that fast on sharp blades. Yeah, on a hard surface, too. You don't have the forgiveness Very of, hard. of the grass like football players Yeah, do. dude. First time I ever went ice skating, like I knew ice, I knew ice was going to be hard. Dumb me didn't expect it to be as painful as it was. I had some kind of stupid figure skates on. They had those dumb little toe picks, and I caught it, and my I went down like a tree, just shoo, right. It hurt so bad. Yeah, you bruise very easily laying on the ice like that. Yeah, you know, I don't recall it being too bad. I think just because I absorbed the impact like solely throughout the entire body, like I'd all just hit it once. But yeah, I mean, I could see how that would. You fall on like your hip or your butt or uh, an yeah. arm, yeah, at direct Bruising contact. Easily. So the big topic right now is obviously NFL playoffs. We checked in last week. We got to check in again. I It pains me talking about the Bills this week. Uh, I knew that it was going to be a close game. I completely anticipated a 50-50 matchup. This is the worst the Bills have looked. That is the worst the Bills have looked in years. I was going to say. I w- Horrendous. I didn't see the first half, saw the second. They you just didn't nothing. seem like a team that. No, I was dude. totally interested in being out there. Dude, right off the bat, the the way the Bengals marched down the field, and then I believe we went like three and out. And there was a couple three and outs in that first half. Yeah, dude. They just couldn't get anything going. Um, meanwhile, Cincinnati had a great game plan. The Bills were entirely outcoached. The energy was not there from the get-go. It really looked like nobody wanted to be there, which it was painful. I like I walked away for a solid like 10 minutes early in the first quarter because it was just like I was getting physically upset because it just felt like nobody was playing. Like nobody was trying. They just wanted to get through and get out of there. And I just don't get it. Um, completely outcoached. Ken Dorsey and Leslie Frazier just, and Sean McDermott, totally crapped the bed. Uh, it was just outmatched, outcoached, embarrassing. Congratulations to the Bengals. But, man, I had to do some soul searching as a Bills fan after that one. I think as a Bills team as a whole, I, I mean, it's been an emotional roller coaster the past month or so, right? Like, you have the unfortunate Tamar Hamlin situation happen where he dies on the field and comes back, and it's just been a total emotional roller coaster. I think if you play anyone but the Bengals at home in Buffalo, it might be a different outcome. But with the tie to playing the Bengals in Cincinnati the night that happened. Well, yeah, but the thing is, I is like Tamar Hamlin was in the stadium. You're playing in Buffalo, which is notorious for being rowdy wild and passionate about this team Demar Hamlin is in the building he came to the locker room you think that they had every motivation to go out there 
and just balls to the wall. You would think. And they literally looked like they could not care less. There was a few guys on the field that stood out, Matt Milano specifically on the defense, Josh trying to do what Josh does. Doing a little too much. No, I don't even think, honestly, not even. Horrible play calling. The Bills' offensive line is trash, and they have been over, like, Josh Allen has bailed them out time and time again. He makes them look decent because he makes ridiculous plays routine. He shouldn't have to run and throw and do the things he does as often as he does. But I digress. I can sit here and rant and rave about the Bills all day because they have been letting me down for 30 years, and this is just now another year of that. What I think would be helpful for you guys, though, moving forward is a quality running back. I mean, Devin Singletary, yeah. he's serviceable. James Cook as a rookie was okay. I don't know if you want to hand the reins over to him, but I there's think a couple Cook, of quality options out there. I think Cook has – there's something there with him. Uh, the Bills are just notorious about not really playing their rookies a ton. It's a McDermott thing, and it's really frustrating because they also had Khalil Shakir on the bench. He's a wide receiver who, when he was on the field, he got some looks. He made some plays, caught the ball. Unlike a lot of the guys that were getting regular time for the Bills, they need a wide receiver too. They need a running back. They need an offensive line and some defensive linemen that can stop the freaking run. You don't like Gabe Davis as wide receiver too? Is he too uh, boom or bust for you? Yeah, Gabe Davis. Yeah, 100%. Boom or bust. Like the man either makes a ridiculous catch, 60-yard touchdown, or he's dropping everything. I think I believe he had one of the highest drop rates in the league this year. And people overshadow that because, yeah, he had like eight touchdowns. So, like, hit this, <laughs> in theory, the production is there. But he creates very little separation. He's not a true number two receiver. He's not that fast. He's not adding a, some any kind of crazy element. He is a bit of a deep threat. But yeah, he had one game where he had three catches, 171 yards, and two touchdowns. Yeah, because talk uh, about boom or bust. Yeah, there was a 98 yard touchdown in, in there. So <laughs> majorly boom or bust. Like the guy, he seems like a good dude. He has made some huge plays, but it felt like he, as well as a number of other guys in the offense, really regressed this year. And just we're not what everyone was hoping for. Stephon Diggs was still Stephon Diggs. He's our number one through and through. Everyone else around him just was not it. Um, Josh had a fine year, but he's he's a gunslinger. You just kind of know what to expect with him. Modern-day Brett Favre almost, but, I mean, with Gabe Davis, he's, he's only 23. I think he still has room to grow. He does. I think a focus – from an outside perspective, not being a Bills fan, would be a top running back. I mean, Saquon Barkley is available. What I don't think the Giants let him go. But Las Vegas, I think they might be going Jacobs. rebuild there. And Josh Jacobs, a free agent. I mean, Dallas, depending on what they want to do down there. Tony Pollard's a free agent. Yeah, Pollard, of the people you just named, Pollard is the one that I think would intrigue me the most. Um, Jacobs yep. just has so much tread on those, like so much wear on those tires. Um, and then Barkley, I think, is going to demand the kind of money that Buffalo can't afford. Right. We're, we're going to be there's guys that are critical to this team that are not going to be back next year specifically Jordan Poyer um, he's been here five six years he's been literally the heart of this defense and he wants to go get paid which I get like the Bills cannot afford to give him the contract he probably deserves but he's also an aging safety on the wrong side of 30 with a, now a bit of an injury history the past couple of years he's been very consistently healthy up until the past year or two but the Bills have bigger areas of need I think that they can't give him the contract he wants. So, you know, there's a lot that's got to go on. I still, for the time being, do trust what Brandon Bean's doing, although his draft record is not looking so stellar these days. You just got to kind of hope and pray. But, you know, on the other side of the ball, I, I'm not going to be cheering for any any AFC teams. I, 
Don't don't like the Chiefs. Don't like the Bengals. So, Tom, you know what time it is. Play the song. We're here for the birds. Forever die her Bills fan, but you know we're cheering for the birds from here on out. How can we not love this song? It's the greatest fight song in the history. Yeah, we're playing the whole thing. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! There we go. I'll play that through and through. I love the Bills, always will, but that is a way better song than our shout song. Um, go birds. They looked phenomenal. I mean, yeah, it's the Giants, so I'm not like saying they were world beaters, but I mean, they should have won that game and they did it in dominating fashion. Covered that eight point spread easily. Yeah, just a bit. Just a bit. I mean, the, the Giants were brought back to earth. They were exposed for who they really are. I didn't expect them to even get out of the first round. So, Well, I kind of touched on this last week. The Vikings were kind of one of those fraud teams with a really good record, so it wasn't yeah. much of a shock that the Giants went into Minnesota and took care of business, beat them on the road. But I think they got a real test in Philadelphia Saturday night and showed who they were. Daniel Jones carried them for a bit at the end yeah. of the regular season there, got them into the playoffs. But the Eagles showed up, took that ball down the first drive, scored that touchdown. Jalen Hurts looked really good. If that's the Hurts, He's it's going to continue to be out there each and every week. I don't know who's going to beat the Eagles right now. I I personally won't go that far because both the Chiefs and the Bengals are a freaking buzzsaw. So whoever comes out of the AFC, in my opinion, is in my opinion is the favorite. But I because I am partly a believer that the Eagles have had a decent walk through the season. Some of those teams are not as good as their records show. But I digress. They obviously are where they're at for a reason. But I just don't know if the Eagles can handle what the Chiefs... I think the Chiefs are going to come out of the, the AFC. Patrick Mahomes is just having an unbelievable year. I know that high ankle sprain is making him look questionable, but... I say that's definitely a concern for me. I like the I like the Bengals this week. I think they go into uh, Kansas City again and pull off an upset. Just I mean, they look, they look like really last year. good. Granted, it's not an upset anymore. The points no. are now favoring the Bengals. Open up at oh, plus because two and of my a half. Homes, and yeah. it's, I've seen it as low as minus two Bengals now after being two and a half point dogs to start. So call it an upset, whatever you want. But I think healthy Mahomes, you have to give the – you're going to pick a favorite in the Chiefs there as the favorite. But I still yeah. like the Bengals either way. I mean, I'd like to see the Bengals get through. But honestly, their antics and the way they've been acting after beating the Bills really rubbed me and a lot of Bills fans the wrong way. Eli Apple um, is a disgrace of a human being for the stuff he, tw- he tweeted uh, about a guy that nearly passed away on the field. Um, it's just not cool, especially for someone that's actually trash and is being carried by a good defense around him. Eli Apple sucks. Yeah, defense looked really good on Sunday. Oh, game. yeah, Lou, Lou Anarumo has that defense just uh, firing all, on all cylinders. They're buzzing. They looked really good, yeah. to hold the, Nobody held the Bills to 10 points this year. Nobody. They scored uh, – they were averaging like 20-plus points a game easy – um, but that's just, they have a very good unit that Eli Apple is just fortunate to be on because that man sucks. Didn't cut it in an awful Giants defense, a mediocre Saints defense. Now he's getting carried in Cincinnati and he's got the gall to go out on Twitter and say some crap that he has no right to say. Nobody has any right to say stuff like that or to act like that. No, I mean, I can't, I don't know what he saw personally, but 
based on what you're telling me here, it doesn't seem like it was the best choice of I words mean, for he, him to be saying. No, he said he immediately after the game put up some tweet like it was like enjoy Cancun or I think he three tweet at uh, three Stephon days Diggs. to Cancun and then like the heart symbol, which is like a big Demar Hamlin thing, and it's just like a real pointed shot at a dude that like nearly died, and that's just trash. Like that's trash behavior. That's not cool. But then it just, from what I've been hearing, and what I, I, I'm not paying much attention to it because our season's over, and I, I don't like the way it ended, but it just sounds like some of these Bengals players are just being really, I don't know, kind of classless about the whole thing. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, there's more teams out there. I want to see the Chiefs beat them now. Um, Chiefs, I thought the Jag, I was hoping the Jaguars might. Yeah, I said that was going to be a close game last week. Yeah. It turned out to be. I mean, I think the Mahomes injury played a factor, but. Total game changer, absolutely. Trevor but Lawrence's first loss on a Saturday. Yeah, I mean they looked half. I mean they looked half decent. Dougie P had that team completely turn around. I mean after the Urban Meyer fiasco, that was just horrible. Especially Trevor has to be quite thankful for Dougie P to be there now. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's. I mean, I think people have said this a lot over the past like ten years. But I think there's a decent future in Jacksonville. I mean, they were in the AFC Championship what twenty seventeen. So With, it's uh, Blake Bortles. Yeah, so I mean they they come and go. They they kind of hang around and then they have a bad year and then they they're back. So it works out. Um they have a lot of good foundational pieces right now. You got Lawrence at quarterback, yeah. you got ETN at running back. Very good wide receiver court it looks like after the free agency splurge they went on with Christian Kirk, yeah, Jay I Jones. Didn't, I didn't understand that. Evan Ingram at tight end. Yeah, I I mean I don't think anyone expected Ingram to have the year he did. But then I didn't – I Christian Kirk didn't make sense to me. Just the amount of money they threw at him. But, I mean, it's, he seems to work in their offense. Yeah, I mean, Dougie P is a very good offensive mind. He's scheming up the right things for that offense and the talent that they got down there. So, I mean, I, I think you can see a, another step forward for Trevor Lawrence next year and the Jaguars. Yeah, I would think so, especially now with some continuity in the coaching staff and, and the game plan and stuff. I, I've loved Sean McDermott, but I just – I want to see the Bills. The Bills need an offensive head coach. Of the eight coaches that were in the divisional round this past weekend, seven of the eight have an offensive background. And the one, be obviously, that doesn't is Sean McDermott. If McDermott's involved in this Bills defense with Leslie Frazier, I don't know what kind of defensive expert he is because this defense is soft. Baby, like, baby butt soft. And actually, that's, no, baby butt soft Charmin is good soft. soft. Yeah, no, Charmin soft is good soft. This is weak soft. And I just, they have every year now in the playoffs, the past three years, just, crumbled under the the real the real lights they were one of the primetime games in the regular season they're winning on national tv in the regular season but when it really comes down to crunch time and it matters they're just out coached all game it's it's a shame so i mean mcdermott seems like a good like leader Do you oh think yeah offensive like, yeah a better offensive coordinator coming in would be more beneficial you know uh, yeah because ken dorsey is a first year offensive coordinator um it just felt like he didn't have any idea of game flow, um, stupid play calls, which I'm not sure always the play call or if it's Josh making a decision, but I can't tell you how many times this year the Bills had the ball between like third and one and third and three, third and four, and they throw a 30-yard bomb. You have Josh Allen in the backfield. Get you your have, hands up, Gabe Davis. Yeah, but, I mean, but why if you're trying to throw it, run a slant, run a drag, something across the middle, something short, something a little out route. Yeah, get Diggs involved. Why, yeah, why, exactly. The man can create space out of nothing. Why are you throwing a third-yard bomb to Gabe Davis on third and two when your season is on the line? And all you need to do is the first down. And I don't know how much of that is Josh Allen playing hero ball. 
or Ken Dorsey having just calling basically verticals all the time, like he's playing Madden. Um, Seems so. like you guys might have missed Brian Dable a bit, huh? You know, I, yeah. But honestly, no, though, because jo- like Josh's stats are almost identical to last year. It's eerily similar, which actually, I guess, now you think about it, actually, no, doesn't say something because they played the exact same amount of games as last year because of the cancellation. So Josh's stats were all the same um, or very close to it. So not a big deal. Um, back on the NFC side, though, uh, Cowboys and 49ers. I didn't really watch much of that game because I was pretty downtrodden after the Bills loss. Yeah, don't blame me there. No, I turned on HBO Max. I watched The Menu. Great movie. Very odd. I've never seen anything like it, but definitely worth watching. If you have HBO Max, check it out. Um, but, yeah, I was happy to see the Cowboys lose. Always, always a good day when the Cowboys lose. Whether you're an Eagles fan, Bills fan, I don't think it matters. Unless you're a Cowboys fan, I think everybody's in agreement. They like to see the Dallas Cowboys lose. Yeah, I think it's the whole America's team. Jerry Jones is just obnoxious. It's always nice to see them lose. I mean, did you see what the Cowboys team Twitter put out? I did not. They were trashing their own quarterback, saying how he threw two interceptions that like more or less cost them the game. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Dak's on the sidelines talking about the kicker because I guess Mayer missed another kick or something. He had one blocked. He had one blocked. And then he made an extra point and made a field goal too. Yeah, that Dak was saying something about how hard can it be if your job is to kick the ball. And then, but meanwhile, Dak had thrown two picks and had not been helping the case at yeah, all. Yeah, one was a game changer too. It was in the red zone. Yeah, that's painful. On on brand, on brand. I think Dak. It doesn't surprise me. He's thrown a lot of interceptions this year. Yeah, Dak. Pretty sure he led the league. Dak's a stat stuffer. Um, if he didn't, Josh Allen did, I believe. Yeah, he had 15 interceptions this past season. Dak. Dak Prescott. And he did. missed uh, what three, four games. Yes, while missing a couple of games due to that thumb injury. Yeah, Dak, um, honestly, dude, I don't think he's much different than a Jared Goff. Um, you know, just one of those guys that he can, throw, he can sling it, but you're not winning much of anything with him. I mean, it helps when you got Amari Cooper there to start, C.D. Lamb, you got Zeke Elliott behind you, one of the top offensive lines. Yeah, most people are going to look good. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's part of the reason why Brock Purdy is looking so good in San Francisco. He's got stud offensive line in front of him. Like we touched on last week, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Weapons. Elijah Mitchell. I mean, the list goes on with their offense. Oh, yeah. And that's part of the reason why they're at where they're at. They've won 12 in a row at this point. That's difficult to do no matter who you're playing. 12 wins in the NFL is impressive. Yeah, dude. So I'm expecting a, a heavyweight fight on Sunday between oh, yeah. the Eagles and the Niners. It should be... I mean, both both championship games are going to be should be great games. Um, it's it's four very good teams. I love what Shanahan and Lynch have done in San Francisco because, I mean, they've proven that they're the team itself is good. They can basically plug and play whatever quarterback they want, and they're still going to be competitive if not winning. Yeah, it goes back to Jimmy G a couple of years ago. Gets them to the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, he's a game manager as as we know it. But oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. A lot of the top seeds are advanced this year. You got the one seed in the Chiefs, one seed in the Eagles, Bengals are the three seed, Niners are the two seed. A lot of chalk this year in the NFL playoffs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess we'll see. Um, I, guess, I mean, I guess we just got to wait and see at this point. Uh, I think it'll be great, great matchups across the board. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping for the Eagles to, to get through. But, I mean, if there's a team in the NFC that's going to give them a run for their money, they're gonna they're gonna see him Sunday. So 
Yeah, I think, like you said, great games uh, both this weekend. You want to get into uh, what kind of topics we're going to be discussing this week? Sure, and probably time we'll, to. Uh, we'll review next week the sure. championship games and touch yeah. on the Super Bowl coming up. Absolutely. should dive into this story here. Um, as we do this, we're uh, this week we're working on uh, the Trogues Nugget Neckner, fantastic beer, released around this time every year. Uh, Trogues out of Hershey, Pennsylvania. Rock them on my sleeve as well. First time I've had it, it's a very good beer. I would definitely get this again. Yeah, man, it's definitely got a like a nice hoppiness. Uh, I mean, it's not an IP, it's not an IPA. It's uh, I believe it is just a pale ale of sorts. Um, does have that little bit of hoppiness to it, but there's just something about it. Really crushable. Seven point five percent has a good kick too. Yeah, so dangerous, dangerously crushable. So definitely worth checking out. Available once a year, so if you see it in stores, pick it up. Shout out the Trogues. Right. All right. So today. I'm going to lead off um, since you took the the reins last week, Tom. And right, let's see what you got. We're going back to January 25th, 1986. I found what I thought was a pretty cool story, and it turns out there's not a ton of information on this exact event itself, but I want to get into the person behind the event. So we're going back to January 25th, 1986, and the man, the myth, the legend, Manute Bull, has, a 15 block, has 15 blocks against the Atlanta Hawks. Now, the cra- obviously, that's crazy. All seven, just six of them just turning shots away left and right. Get it right. He's seven foot seven. Oh, my bad. Uh, seven, granted, seven. There, there are discrepancies between seven, six and seven, seven. Is that with shoes on or without? I don't know. If this is, they weren't so, uh, so serious about it back then. I don't think there's, so, so we'll get into a little bit about him and his background here. Uh, the craziest thing though is, I mean, 15 blocks is nuts. I was kind of explaining this to Ab, my wife, Abigail earlier, that like a really good defensive game. You might see five, six blocks these days. Yeah, at most, like three or four, I would think. Three or four is, a, yeah, three or four is even a, better like a number. solid game. He's basically averaging four a quarter. Yeah, so, yeah. So, <laughs> 15 blocks uh, against the Atlanta Hawks in his rookie year, 86. And this isn't just any Hawks team. I believe this would have had Spud Webb and um, Dominique Wilkins on this team. So, like, there's, it's not exactly a team of scrubs. So, the thing with Manu Bull, though, is if you're not familiar, he is listed at seven foot seven. I believe uh, he has an eight foot six inch wingspan. That's absurd. Yes, his standing reach from the floor to the top of his hands when he reaches up is ten feet nine inches tall. So just standing and extending his hand, he was already over the basket. I think that's two of me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not not exactly. We're you and I are both a little taller than the average bear, um, but either way, absolutely massive. Um, he's just a very interesting story, and I wanted to get into his background a little bit who he was and just how he really stood out in the NBA. Did you know he's had 15 blocks twice in a game before? Yes. So I did know this because I was excited about this because when, as I was reading into it, there's the two of them. The one is in his rookie year. The one that we're talking about today is his rookie year, which to me is cool. But the second one actually happened as part of a triple double. He had double digit points, double digit boards and double digit blocks, which is, you don't see that every day. No, not very often. So, um, there's actually only two other players in NBA history that have ever had 15 or more blocks in a game. Um, Shaquille O'Neal actually did it back on November 20th, 1993. No surprise there. No, and that 93 would have been like prime athletic Shaq. Yeah, him and Bef- Pen- Penny Hardaway. Yeah. Running I, up and down the floor. Yep, back on the Magic before he started gaining weight. And, I mean, he was always dominant, but this was like, prime young 20 something Shaq peak Shaq yeah so he did 15 he had 15 in 93 and then a man by the name of Elmore Smith had 17 on October 28th 1973 
Elmore Smith seemed to be a bit of a role player for about nine years, I believe I read, across a couple of different teams. Um, nothing too extraordinary, extraordinary stands out about him, except for the fact that he was a phenomenal shot blocker as well. If you scroll through the list of most blocks in a game, he's on there quite a few times. But 17 is the highest for him. I said, I've never heard of him before. No, me neither. Um, I, I learned about him just a little bit through doing this this research here on my man, Manute Bull. Um, so we're going to dive into a little bit about Manute. Um, just a little, little backstory. Um, there's some really interesting stuff about him. And his his path to the NBA is, uh, like a lot of players from Africa, is very unique. But there's just something about him that has always stood out. I think the oddity of the fact that he was 7'7", and probably about 180, 100, between 180 and 200 pounds. Total beanstalk. I don't know what his actual weight was. I can only find stuff. It was only easier to find stuff on his height. Um, yeah, just a quick look here. It says he weighed about 200 pounds when he played. Yeah, dude. I am over a foot and about a foot and a half shorter than this guy almost. And I definitely weigh quite a bit more, more than he did. Yeah, last time I weighed 200 pounds, I think I was in high school. Yeah, I think it was about freshman year high school for me as well. So, sounds about right. Um, Manute Bull. Uh, seven foot seven, born in Turali, Sudan, now South Sudan. It is a separate country these days. There's a whole lot going on there, big political differences and uh, and racial differences and whatnot. Uh, we won't get into that one today. Uh, Manute Bull was one of was tied as the tallest player in the history of Nash- the NBA with George Murison, a Romanian um, giant, for lack of a better word. They actually ended up actually played on the same team for a little bit with the Washington Bullets before they were the Wizards. They had seven, two seven foot seven players on the same roster, so very different time in the NBA. Um, those guys would not see the floor now. We see some of these tall guys coming through, and they just don't cut it like they used to, like they used to. Uh, Taco Fall, I think, being the most recent of the Giants in the league. Yeah, I mean, Manute's son Bol Bol is actually in the league and playing pretty well this year for the Orlando Magic. Finally, he had not been getting much of a chance. Uh, he was drafted and traded almost immediately, um, and then kind of relegated to the bench, the deep part of the bench in Denver. And I think now he's with Orlando, yep, and yeah, he's, he's actually got some time. Uh, really cool though, because he's seven foot three, but he he's everything his dad wanted to be. So, what did you say his dad's wingspan was? Eight, uh, eight foot six. <laughs> his uh, Bowl Bowl's wingspan is seven foot eight. Yeah. So, just kind of puts into perspective what a freak Manute was. Yeah, just bizarre. I might be wrong with the eight foot six, but I believe I read that somewhere. It should be on this in these three pages somewhere. Here we go. Um. Yeah, I got it. Eight foot six. Eight foot six. That's just unreal. I think somebody, yeah, I think Rudy Gobert might have the longest in the league right now, and it's seven foot 11. Um, I remember hearing at one point. But, yeah, so seven, eight foot six in twinks, man. So the guy is absolutely massive. The thing is he came from a family of extraordinarily, extraordinarily tall people. He is a member of the Dinka. Um, they are just known for being incredibly tall. Um, they're among the tallest populations in the world. He, he estimates his mom at about 6'10 and his dad at 6'8. He had a 6'8 sister, and then he claims that his great-grandfather was 7'10. Um, there's not much to back that up, along with, actually, a lot of the stuff in his life. Um, but either way, that's a very large, like, very tall uh, family. It's very tall people. Uh, there are parts of Africa that have some of the tallest populations in the world. Specifically, the Dinka, the Dinka people. Imagine your mom being six foot ten and then always being a foot taller than her. <laughs> yeah, I'm a foot taller than my mom now, and she's five two. 
five three. I think she'll claim five three at least. So I gotta correct I that. I give her five four. It's my mom. I won't <laughs> give her. I won't give her five four. I'll barely give her five three. But she listens to this, so we'll round hi, up. Mom. <laughs> yeah, we'll round up for you. Um, so the thing with Manu Bull, though, is he never really knew how tall he was until he was about eighteen or nineteen years old. Because in his uh, poor village in South Sudan, they didn't really have a great way to measure him. Um, and all of them were a lot of his, his people were so tall that I don't think they really cared. So probably just normal, right? Yeah, it's yes. like you and I, six foot three, like we're kind of normal. Yeah, but you yeah. see someone that's seven foot, what eight, walk by, you're gonna look up and be like, "Yeah, dude, I actually you're had hurt your neck, maybe." Had that like exact situation here at uh, the Wawa, one of the Wawa's in Westchester. I was, I walked into, I was grabbing something, and across the store, I see this guy that just looks like he's, I like he's got to be standing on something, a step stool or whatever. I walk over to the coffee area where he's at. No, this man is just so tall. I, I have cousins that are six five, six six. I used to play basketball. I've been around tall people. This man was fr- like he felt just freakishly tall, but he was kind of like minute, just tall and l- really lanky. Get to talking to the guy. Uh, he had a bat, some basketball gear on, and I was like, "All right, so clearly you play." It was EYBL, which is like a high end travel circuit, like it's okay, like the AAU, top recruit AAU AAU, team of some sort. Yeah, it's like an AAU league, I believe, of some sort. This man is Derek Lively. He ended up being the number one recruit in his recruiting class, I believe, last year. He's now uh, playing at Duke, and he is projected to be a uh, top pick this upcoming draft. I believe next year. I think he – I don't remember the exact date, but all I know is he was the number one overall pick. He was playing at the West Town School out here uh, outside of Westchester, PA. So shout-out to Derek. Super nice kid. I was talking to him for a bit because not often someone really – I've never really felt tiny in my life. And then I stood next to him. Yeah, he's seven one. Yeah, pretty large. Super good kid. I hope the best for him. Um, and I imagine he'll probably be a much better player than Manute Bull was. So the thing with Manute is that he began playing basketball really late in his life. He actually started playing soccer, but then he was just obviously way too tall for that. Didn't move that well. You make for a great goalie. <laughs> Go look at one past him. He would because he was like surprisingly agile and stuff for his size. Um, but actually, it's surprising that he made it as far as he did in basketball because he actually was born with a like a claw hand. His he was dominantly right-handed, but he had three fingers on his right hand that were like they were naturally like closed. Okay, I didn't created know that. a bit of a claw. So he actually had to teach himself to do things left-handed, shoot, dribble, stuff like that. Become ambidextrous almost. Yeah, yeah. I believe he did still do some shooting and stuff right-handed, but he had to try to, to work his way up to um, to being to doing things left-handed. And if you know anything about Manute Bull, is obviously a great shot blocker, not very good at anything else. He was not a good offensive player, um, never really became one, but he loved to shoot the three. Manute Bull loved to put a to love to shoot. He would fit in with today's modern game, shooting the three. Yeah, but he doesn't make them typically. Uh, there was uh, at one point in his career, he had made he had ten career made free th- uh, three pointers, and then in a game, uh, uh, he was playing for the Sixers, I think against the Suns. He made six threes in the first half. One at the time, one shy of the NBA record for threes in a half. And so the man who could not shoot was able to start shooting pretty well. Yeah, career average, 21% from the three-point line. Yeah, which is not good. But, I mean, hey, for the fact that he was 7'7 seven, seven and not very good, um, 
Now, did he shoot right-handed or left-handed? Sorry if you said that. But I don't I it. don't recall. I know he worked on both. He had to work with the left because of the claw fingers on the right. Um, but watching highlights of him, I'm trying to think. I believe he shot right-handed. Um, but I'm sure you can look that up and find it. But as you're looking looking that up, um, after as he grew up taller and taller, his cousin suggested to try basketball. Basketball was not super common in Sudan at the time. Um, this would have been back in the... I had the birthday. Actually, they don't even really know his birthday, first and foremost. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but he, he was right-handed. He was right-handed. Okay, so he was shooting with that clawed hand. So he supposedly was t- suggested to take a basketball, and there was, like I said, basketball is not super common in the area. He had to walk three days from his village to f- find a, a place with a team. So he joined a team in the city of Wau, uh, W-A-U. I might have pronounced that wrong. It had some, somewhere around 80,000 residents. Um, got there and began to play for the police team. The police there had a team. Um, his father objected entirely, saying this is not a good job for someone of our people, this and that. But he just really wanted to continue on and play basketball. So after having a few successful, after having a successful little career in Wau, he moved on to Khartoum with his cousin. Khartoum is the capital of Sudan. And um, so it's a big city. It's in North Sudan, which is a heavy Arab population. So he ran into a lot of racial tension being of the native South, like native South Sudan. And yeah, obviously I'm sure. uh, very dark um, people, the Dinka. So it was not the safest place for them. Um, the people of Northern Sudan harbored a bit of a hatred towards the, the blacks of South Sudan. Um, so he really like had to fight and claw his way onto the team, onto a team. And he ended up playing three years under the Catholic club and for a military team. Um, he lived in Khartoum. He met a, met a woman who he wanted to marry, but the, her family wanted a huge dowry. His dad wasn't willing to pay it. So she ended up marrying somebody else. Um, so yeah, so, you know, that obviously, like, it was really painful for him, and he decided, like, you know, I'm just going to focus on basketball for now. Seemed like a smart decision. Yeah. So I'm only going to talk about, like, his coming to America upbringing because you can go on and on about his career. Um, and I was just looking at the video of him where he made his six three-pointers. Oh, uh, yeah. It's this I ug- mean, he almost shoots, like, two-handed. It's an ugly over-the-right-shoulder fling. I mean, it's almost, like, behind the head. Yeah. And... By the end of the half, the Suns bench, that's who the Sixers played that night, they're just like, they couldn't believe what was going on. Yeah, nobody Watching could. the highlights of this. Nobody could. Um, it's, uh, yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. Definitely worth looking up just because it's it do- doesn't look like it should work. Um, all right, so towards the end of his three years playing in Khartoum, he was um, found by a coach named Don Feely. Don used to be the coach of Fairleigh Dickinson here uh, over in New Jersey. He was in Sudan and was holding uh, coaching and holding clinics for the Sudanese national team in 1982. Feely was the one who convinced Bull to come to the States. Feely got in touch with Kevin Mackey, head coach at Cleveland State University. Um, only issue at the time is that Manute Bull could not provide a record of his birth date, so Mackey listed it as October 16th, 1962. But at the time, everyone believed that Manute Bull was actually significantly older than he was because they couldn't prove how old he uh, They couldn't prove his age. He didn't have that kind of documentation growing up in a small village in South Sudan. He showed up here not speaking or writing English. So he worked on his English skills at Case Western Reserve University, but then um, not enough to qualify to actually enroll at Cleveland State. So he actually never suited up for them. 
Uh, but because Cleveland State helped him out, they actually ended up getting placed on two years probation a few, few years down the road for providing improper assistance to Bull and a couple other African players. So with all that being said, the NCAA was questioning his eligibility for D1 basketball. So he enrolled. Of course they were. Right? Of course. So he enrolled at the University of Bridgeport, uh, Division II, playing for the Purple Knights. And he was there in 84, 85. Uh, his coach there was actually also a friend of Don Feely. Um, got him on the team, Bruce Webster. That name sounds familiar. I believe he actually might have been the coach at Kansas State for a while. Um, but at Bridgeport, Manute actually had a great year. Uh, averaged 22.5 points, 13.5 rebounds, and 7.1 blocks per game. Um, the team was selling out the 1,800-seat gym, and Bull got them on the road to the NC, uh, the D2, D2 men's basketball tournament. And I'm sure he was quite the attraction. Yeah, oh, of course, because of his height and everything. Um, after that, he declared his attention to play professionally. And so what happened was that the San Diego Clippers drafted him later in the draft. Back when the draft had a few extra rounds, the Clippers head coach had received a call about Bull from Feely. This Feely guy was instrumental in um, in Manu Bull's career. He said, have, I, have you told anyone else about this Bull character? And Feely said, well, the only person he had t- reached out to at the time was the um, was Frank Layden at Utah. Frank was the head coach there. But Utah already had Mark Eaton, who was 7'4". So he was like, I can't. I can't have two guys that huge on the team. Like they're not, they're useful, but they're not super useful. Can't be carrying too much of that. Yeah, Mark has a couple games where he's had fourteen blocks in a in a single game. Yeah, yeah. He's high up he on was the huge. blocks list. He was actually a very efficient player for me, how large he was. Um so after all that, he had gotten drafted in the eighty three draft. And back at the time you could actually go back to college and go back in the draft. So he got drafted again in uh eighty five by the Washington Bullets. That led him into his NBA career uh, where he played for the Bullets. On the Bullets, he was a member of the team that had the tallest and shortest player in NBA history at the same time, with him at 7'7", seven seven, Muggsy Bugs, 5'3", phenomenal player. Um, but there's a great picture of the two of them. Uh, I believe there's like three basketballs stacked on Bugsy's head or there's something in the picture somewhere. Is, Bugsy has three balls. In his hand. In his hand. Yeah. And then Manu told him like the top, Bugsy has the bottom. It's one of the greatest pictures ever and just really puts into perspective the height difference between oh, yeah. the two. I mean, 7'7 seven, seven and 5'3", two feet and four-inch difference between the two. Just absurd. Um, some fun facts about Manute Bull. Obviously, he had a crazy upbringing that to find himself in the States. Um, he is – I think the craziest thing about him is he is the only player in NBA history to retire with more career blocked shots than points scored. Wow. Yeah. And when you put that into perspective with the fact that points scored, you're usually scoring two or three points at a time. A block only counts as one at a time. Um, he ranked second in NBA history in block shots per game and 16th in total block shots. Um, like I said, absolutely massive human being. Um, he set the rookie shot blocking record in 85-86, tied the NBA record for most block shots in one half at 11. He blocked eight shots in one quarter on two different occasions. In 1992, in a game against the Magic, he actually blocked four consecutive shots in one possession. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, on average, he blocked around 5.6, oh, one shot for every 5.6 minutes he was on the court. Um, so he... Glad I didn't play against him. Yeah, so the only thing, so he actually dribbled predominantly, blocked shots, and rebounded with his left hand. The only thing he really did was that right hand. Um, well, shoot. Yeah, so he's actually 18th all-time in total block shots. 
but second in block shots per game because he didn't end up making it that far. I say tough to have a long career like that. Yeah, I mean he a lot of people of his height really struggle to um exist properly, honestly, and to survive a, a long happy healthy life. Yeah, it's a shame, but yes. he definitely contributed a lot in his life. Yeah, he it seems like major major philanthropist, um did a lot of work with various things. He um did a celebrity boxing matches. He uh, suited up to play in a hockey game for charity even though he never ice skated before. Um, did a ton of charity work, sent a lot of money back to Sudan, and unfortunately, Manute Bull passed away on June 19, 2010, uh, died from acute kidney failure and complications from Stevens-Johnson syndrome in Shroudsville, Virginia. He was 47, 47 at the time, and he is currently buried in South Sudan. He is such a fascinating player. I barely scratched the surface with his life, his career, what's uh, what he did. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on that. I know, I know. I took up way more time than I expected to just because he, and I, like I said, there's stuff on that paper that I just didn't even bother touching because there's so much. So I highly recommend um, looking into him further. Just really cool guy. Um, his son, Bull Bull in the league now. Just a very interesting story. So that is what started with the 15 rebound or 15 block performance of Manute Bull turned into a little story about the history of him coming over here, how he got here. And just what he faced to to make it to the NBA after being born and raised in a small South Sudanese village. I mean, good for him. He made it. How many people can say they make the NBA, right? Especially coming <laughs> from from Sudan like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Tom, real quick before we get into our uh, get into your story, I believe we do have a word from one of our sponsors. So we'll get into that. And we will be right back. This episode of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Rucci Heating and Cooling, LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484-849-1015. Rucci Heating and Cooling, LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at 484-849-1015. All right, and we're back, Tom. What do you got for us today? All right, so I'm going to discuss... Uh, you might have heard of him, Irvin Johnson, otherwise known as Magic. Yeah, I've heard that name. So he returned to the NBA on January 30th, 1986. Oh, uh, yeah, this is this was huge. So you know you've made it when you just go by one name, like <laughs> other greats like Tiger, MJ, Kobe, LeBron. Now, do you know why Magic was called Magic Johnson? Uh, I do not. So when he was a star at Everett High School, he was actually given the nickname by a sports writer um, who had just seen him play. Um, a game when he was 15, he scored 36 points, had 16 rebounds, and 16 assists. So that's where the name Magic came from. All right. <laughs> that stat line is, I mean, yeah, magical. Yeah, run that back. 36, 16, and 16. Triple-double as a 15-year-old in high school. Yeah, dude, I'm not sure I had any of those counting stats combined my whole senior year of high school, so that's pretty outrageous. Yeah, I was happy when I had, you know, 10 points and, like, five boards in a game. Yeah, dude, I think my career high in varsity was eight points. Hey, we all got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> or end somewhere, apparently. And that's why we're here. So Magic, <laughs> he actually grew up in Lansing, Michigan, um, which is where Michigan State University is located. He had a very solid career playing for the uh, Spartans. He actually won the national title in his sophomore year against Indiana State. Now that game, that national title game, is the most watched NCAA men's basketball championship game ever. An estimated 40 million people watched that game that year. So to put it into perspective, 
about 18 million watched last year's total game between Kansas and North Carolina. Say, did you say 40 million watched? 40 it? million. That's 1979. I mean, it was Magic Johnson against the Hick from French Lick. So yeah, Larry I mean, the Legend. Yeah, that's that's a, let, a little legendary matchup. I mean, talk about another great nickname, though, Larry Legend. Larry Legend, the Hick from French Lick. Yeah, the man has it all and apparently was a uh, wonderful trash talker as well. But we can talk about that later. I mean, I don't know if it's just me or not, but I feel like nicknames were so much better back in the day. Like, you got Larry Legend, Magic. I mean, Daryl Dawkins, known as the Chocolate Thunder. Chocolate Thunder. Dr. J, talk about iconic. Yeah. And then you go Charles Barkley, known as the Mound Round of Rebound. The Round Mound of Rebound. For a guy that's six foot, like, two, I've walked by him before <laughs> in a local casino around here. I was taller than him. Really? And that guy was one of the best rebounders in NBA history. Hey, man, it's all about, rebounding's all about heart. It's all about positioning and using your lower half, yes, just sir. boxing the guy out. Absolutely. So, carrying on here with Magic. Um, after that year, he wins the national title. He actually declares for the draft and then gets selected number one overall by the LA Lakers. So here's something I learned while looking up this story about magic and what's going on with him. He actually signed a 25 year deal in 1981 that paid him 25 million a year. What? 25 year deal, 1981, 25 million a year. So a million a year, $500 million contract. No, I'm I'm sorry, $25 million in total, so $1 million a year. <laughs> sorry if I mis- misread oh that. Oh, my God, you, dude. Yeah, he would be – I mean, he is very wealthy, but I was going to say, 25 for 25? Yeah, That's paid him out $25 million over the course of 25 years. That would be the Bobby Bonilla contract on steroids. Yeah, I mean, well, you're well, talking about the Lakers. They can afford it, right? Yeah, yeah. So during his career, Magic, he actually won Rookie of the Year, MVP three times, Finals MVP three times, won an NBA title five times, 12-time All-Star, and eventual obvious Hall of Famer. Now, unfortunately for Magic, his career was cut a bit short, and he missed several years of basketball because of that. So on November 7th, 1991, before the start of the 91-92 season, Magic actually stunned the sports world by announcing uh, his sudden retirement from the Lakers. And due to that was because he tested positive for HIV, and that's the virus that caused AIDS. So it was actually a pretty shocking development out of nowhere, and he was one of the most famous athletes at that time. Well, yeah, and especially at that time, the a- HIV/AIDS was um, really yeah, a huge rearing pandemic at that time. Yeah, really rearing its head, and the government was ignoring it, and it was definitely associated with the gay community heavily. So I can only imagine how shocked people were, were to hear that Magic Johnson has has it of all people. Right, and, I mean, it didn't sit well in the league. Like, a lot of guys were scared to play because, like, what if he gets cut during the game? Like, are they going to all of a sudden have HIV? And so, because I think that's part of the reason why Magic retired. Yeah, rightfully so. I mean, I I think I don't blame anyone for worrying about that. Bloodborne bloodborne illness, so. Yeah, and, I mean, you got to put your health and safety first before anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So, that year he ends up playing in the NBA All-Star game and helps the Western Conference beat the Eastern Conference, 153-113. to And he was actually an MVP of the game for the second time in his career. Wow, okay. So that's one of the last times he plays basketball up until a couple years in advance. But that summer in 1992, he actually went on to play what's, you know, pretty much considered the greatest basketball team ever assembled with the USA men's basketball team for the Summer Olympics. Oh, the dream team, Barcelona 92. Yeah, the dream team. Um, so I'm not going to get too much into this topic. I feel like this is something for over the summer when they actually compete in the games. Uh, sure. But this team boasted 11 future Hall of Famers and won every game by at least 30 points. 
Yeah, that's literally the most dominant team in the Talk about pure basketball. domination. Yeah, when you look at not just 11 Hall of Famers, when you look at that lineup, the only the non-Hall of Famer is Christian Leitner, and even he was like, he's not a bad player. Yeah, he was a stud out of Duke at that time. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, it, that lineup is just like a who's who of late 80s or 80s, 90s greatness. And you got MJ, you got Larry Bird, granted at the end of his career, you got David Robinson, you got Clyde Drexler. I mean, the one guy who didn't make it that probably should have, Isaiah Thomas. I think Michael Jordan made a phone call, though, and said he's not – he's <laughs> playing. I'm not on the team. I think yeah. we kind of witnessed that in the Last Dance documentary that ESPN put together. Oh, yeah. But I think that's definitely another topic we'll t- cover uh, <laughs> coming up in the summer, and we'll There's dive real deep into that one. you can do with that one. I think that's a full episode topic there. Sure. So after the Olympics, though, uh, Magic didn't return to basketball until the 93-94 season. Where he actually didn't play this year. He actually took over as coach of the L.A. Lakers for the final 16 games of that season. I had no idea he was a coach. See, you say it, and it like rings a bell, but I feel like it was such a minor part of his whole career that I, I think don't think about it. I remember him as like more of an, the exec. I mean, obviously, he wasn't playing when we were watching, but like remember his exec years in L.A. Yeah, I mean, being born in 93 doesn't help that this happened in 93, 94. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> yeah. have the best memory then, but no, not at all. I, if you told me Magic Johnson was a coach of the LA Lakers at some point, I would have said you're lying, but he was actually coached for 16 games. When he first takes over, they win their first five. Or I would have thought it was late, like further down the road. Right. Not yeah. like soon after his career ends. Yeah. But after that five game win streak, they end up losing five of their next six. So the season comes to an end and Magic ends up announcing that he's not going to be returning as the head coach the following year. Now we fast forward to the topic we're covering, January 30th, 1996. Magic actually makes one last attempt to play in the league. So after sitting out for the better part of four and a half years, this was like more or less his last hurrah. So Magic was playing about 30 pounds heavier than his prime. He played around like 225 normally. He was okay. coming, coming in playing around 255 while he was uh, in this 95-96 season. I mean, dude, 6'8", he can afford to be... He can afford the, the extra thirty pounds if he needs if he has it. Yeah, that's actually what I was gonna say next. Remember, he's actually six foot nine, so it's six nine. It's not out of this world to be playing that that heavy at that height, but he actually played more power forward at this time compared to point guard, which we all know him for. Yeah, dude. I mean, he would have been such a perfect guy in this era of basketball, a six foot nine point guard. What Ben Simmons wishes he could be. Yeah, literally everything that Ben Simmons could have been, but never <laughs> never will because he doesn't deserve it. We're not jaded Sixers fans at all. No, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Trust the process. Um, so this season, it, uh, that season, I should say, didn't actually go as planned for Magic and his Lakers. Um, they were actually ousted in the playoffs by the Houston Rockets in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs, and they lost that series 3-1. to one. So when that series was over, Magic actually hung it up for good, and then come 2002, he was elected into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, Well-deserved. I mean, yeah, the guy was incredible. I mean, played on some phenomenal Lakers teams. I mean, he ran with uh, Kareem for quite a while. Yeah, dynasty there. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah. A true juggernaut. I I wish we could have been around for those Celtics-Lakers years. Um, I mean, they lost to the Sixers in the finals, too. Oh, yeah. So, if you remember. What um, was that, 82? Yeah, the 83 season. 83. So, the... Sixers had not been able to get over the hump beating the Celtics. Yeah. And the Celtics-Lakers had those big duels. So when the um, Sixers 
it was known they were going to beat the Celtics. It was in Boston. They started beat LA chant, and that's where that came from. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Because the Celtics didn't want to see the Lakers win again, so they're yeah. like, let's get beat LA going. The whole TD Gardens chant, beat LA. Everyone can get beat LA. That. So next thing you know, the Sixers go on. They win the title. They beat beat the Lakers that year. Because 83, would, that was what, Moses Malone? Yeah, they acquired Moses that year. Okay, yeah. He Dr. Was, J still yeah, was height of his like, prime. Yeah, Dr. J. Closing towards the end of it. Yeah, Man, I just, I love, and I think that's part of why we started this podcast, is just thinking back on those times and, like, knowing who these guys were. Like, Magic Johnson was such a legend. You could argue, I mean, definitely top 10. I don't know if I want to rattle off my top 10 players in the league right now, but he's for sure top 10 ever. Yeah. I don't know, maybe top five. You can make an argument. Yeah, I mean, those are conversations that can run in circles all day. But I think just from what he did and how different he was, especially in his era, because right now he would fit into the modern game so well. Where every you everyone wants a point forward. Yeah, he wouldn't miss a beat. No, he'd be he'd fit right in. I mean, he might not be the three point shooter that everyone wants, but his ability to to distribute and to finish at the basket, and he was a great defender, really good rebounder too. Yeah, real good. I mean. Look at what some of these smaller guys can do. Like Steph Curry can go grab 10 rebounds at six feet tall. If just, again, positioning and stuff. So you got magic size and skill and athleticism at six foot nine. I mean, that's a recipe for grabbing boards. Yeah, I mean, for his career, he averaged 19 and a half, 11 dimes, and seven rebounds. I mean, almost averaged a triple double in his career. Impressive, right? Yeah, especially in that, that era. Defense was much the game was much more physical it was a very different game than what you see today i was like did they even have refs in the game then <laughs> street rules calling yeah, it and ones if you want it no blood no foul no i mean pretty it might as well be when you listen back to those guys or you watch the highlights it's just a different game and uh i don't really like i don't watch a ton of the nba these days because it's not i don't find it as enjoyable it's not the basketball i grew up loving and enjoying i mean Got Michael Jordan sitting right behind me. Like, I remember watching those highlights. Larry Legend, like you said. I mean, they, I'm a, I've always been a big Shaq fan, and we were fortunate enough to watch a lot of his his career. But it's just one of those things where, I mean, magic would have translated so well, and I wish there was some way outside of, like, video games to, like, be able to see these guys go ahead. Can you, like, can you imagine, like, a prime Magic Johnson matching up with, like, Kevin against Kevin Durant or, or something. like LeBron James. Yeah, LeBron. Uh, yeah, of course. LeBron I think versus Magic would be incredible. Yeah, very. Yeah, very. Weirdly enough, very similar kinds of players. I player. I feel like. Um, yeah, I think a matchup like that would just be phenomenal, and I wish there was a way to to be able to say that. But that's also why I hate the conversation of best player of all time, at least in this sport. Like hockey has their their definition. Right. It's Wayne Gretzky. And you it's can't really argue it's it. Indisputed. Undisputed. I mean, I know there's guys that are very famous in the hockey world, Gordie Howe and uh, Maurice Richard, those guys. But again, very different game. But nobody can dispute that Wayne Gretzky was the best. Right. The Athletic, they're actually running a top 99 players in NHL history. Yeah. And they're doing 99 because obviously, you know, the top 100, <laughs> who number one is. Yeah. So it's kind of okay. like a mode to Wayne Gretzky. All right. But it's like, yeah, they're counting down 99. I think they're in like the top, they're in the teens right now with that That's list. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. Um, I think, but I think, oh, I think hockey is the only sport where there's a true, of the major, the four major sports here in the U.S., hockey is the only sport that has a true GOAT. Where I know, like, Tom Brady might be considered the GOAT in football, but he's also the greatest quarterback of all time. There's so many nuances and differences in positional play in the NFL. Right, yeah, it's tough to argue that. Like, yeah. I mean, you go to golf, you, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas. There you go. You go to baseball, I mean... 
do you want to name a hitter? Do you want to name a pitcher? Exactly. Because and then and then what what do you take into account? Now you and I talked about it a little bit last week. Like I would probably argue that Barry Bonds may be the greatest player in MLB history. Yeah, I and wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> argue it. I mean, <laughs> you don't hit seven hundred, what seven hundred sixty some seven hundred seven sixty three, for no reason. Seven sixty two maybe, somewhere in there. I mean, yes, he yeah. Uh, we can get into the steroid conversation all day. Um, yeah, seven sixty two. Okay, seven sixty two. I knew it was close. Um, but then yeah, then all right. Well, then who's the greatest pitcher of all time? And you can really like because sure, Cy Young has the award named after him, but it was a very different game, very different time. The history is so deep. Um, I it, you know it's one of those things that it's a conversation that's going to go on forever. There's never going to be a definitive in most of these sports. Whereas unless somebody comes through and Connor Bedard or somebody that coming up in the NHL has it turns into the absolute I mean if McDavid's not even gonna get close to threatening what Gretzky who will you know like right I mean McDavid's just dominating but I think that's gonna be you know a, a main topic going forward with the show just a lot of these debates and oh yeah a lot of these stories we're gonna touch on yeah and I think uh, and, but also talking about the the lesser lesser heralded uh stories lesser heralded names you know like that's why I wanted to Talking about Manute Bull, I think the 15-block game is just absurd. It's like I feel like I couldn't even pull that off against a team of, like, fourth graders. I uh, think my arm would be a little sore after halftime. Yeah, you're just sitting there swatting. You gotta, you're going to have to switch it up every so often, you know, go up left-handed, go up right-handed. Yeah, maybe that helped him, you know, with the right hand not being fully <laughs> yeah. developed. Can just do left and right blocks. club, I guess, and he's just swinging at it. But, yeah, you know, either way, um, I'm sure we'll at some point we'll dive into our favorite players of – or what we think are the greatest players, and there's so much that we can cover. Sports goes back a long way in this country. That's not even taking into account the other popular sports in the world. Yeah, of course. Like we soccer. Have, we've like haven't even talked soccer. I don't know much about. I don't know a ton about soccer. That makes two of us. But there's also so much in that world, and I mean, it's the largest sport outside of the U.S. is soccer, by and large. And so there's so much history we could dive into there, but. I think our listeners here in the States probably like the big four. I would agree with that. Maybe some golf. We can talk cycling if we get into the Lance Armstrong uh, saga. Stuff Maybe a little like bowling or UFC. We'll, yeah, we'll figure you out. know, we, you and I have our hobbies. I like darts. I throw axes, although there's not a ton of exciting axe throwing history here. Uh, bowling, there's this building. bowling, there can be some cool stuff. The PBA had its a major moment uh, back, what, the 70s or so? 70s, 80s. I mean, they're still big. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. like, I it mean, it's was definitely like, not what it used to be. But it was like a national spectacle yeah, for, for a long sure. time. My dad's actually named after a pro bowler, Dave Davis. Uh, well, formerly pro bowler, he's a PBA Hall of Famer, I believe. Okay, uh, didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, never heard of him before. No, that's a that's a story we can get into down the road. My grandma had a thing for uh, for Dave Davis back in the day, and uh, named my dad after him. So i think they went to they they know they knew each other so my grandma is dave davis so it's a little more scandalous than just like oh i like the name i will have to touch on that next episode yeah i know i wish you slow around i could dive into that a little bit but all right tom you got anything to add before we uh we call it a day here yeah just remember to follow us uh, all our social medias at going back pod make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast and just uh something here to wrap it up remember kids like the great ricky bobby once said if you ain't first you're last All right. Thanks for joining us this week on Going Back, Back, Back. This is Brian. And I'm Tom. And we'll see you next week.